0: This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. This evening, I'm doing something very different. I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to speak in a way that I don't usually speak. In fact, tonight's going to be almost a little bit of a lecture, but sort of a lecture run by some sort of crazy professor. So, you're in for a treat. Uh, I thought it could be a smaller crowd. So, here we all are, thank you for coming. Uh, if it's your first time, I don't usually preach like I'm about to preach, because uh, I feel like I'm about to teach, and if you've been to one of my Bible studies before at my house that I have run, you've seen me do this before, uh, you'll see that I can take notes up on the screen. The first thing you'll notice is my handwriting is atrocious. Uh, that's okay, because it's just here for a little bit of visual aid. The second thing you'll notice as the sermon goes on is that my spelling is also atrocious, but I'm a pastor not a speller. So, you can forgive me for that. Uh, So, this evening is going to be interesting and I'm going to delve deep uh, in an Old Testament story and try perhaps change your mind on how that story is usually told. And I want to unpack things from a Jewish perspective, the faith that we are grafted into. Of course, the Jews, the chosen people of God, we as Christians are grafted into that original faith. The Old Testament's very, very important, so we're going to unpack some books there today. So I apologise if it's your first time. Hopefully this makes sense. Dylan prayed for me before the service and gave me these glasses. Because who do we sing for? Jesus. Yellow. The answer's yellow. The Mariners won. (laughs) 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 Jesus. Certainly the appropriate uh, answer for this setting, though. Certainly the appropriate answer for this setting. The Jews consider this book to be, uh, (laughs) well, the first half of this book, the Old Testament, to be very, very important. When Jewish theologians and rabbis consider this book, they believe that this book needs to be dug into, that this book needs to be read, that it should make you question things, that it should make you have a million questions, that you should dig for the gold. This book is full of gold. The Old Testament's full of gold. And Christians aren't very good at teaching it because we often teach the New Testament and Jesus. Little do we know that Jesus is all throughout the Old Testament, so it's a very important book. But the Jews believe you have to dig in. They also believe it's almost like a gemstone, As you turn the gemstone and shine a light at it, you see all these different refractions of light. Almost a million ways to interpret the same scriptures. And rabbis do that. You ask any rabbi from any different synagogue their interpretation of these Old Testament books and they might give you a different answer. And so this week, I listened to lots and lots and lots of Jewish rabbis and I listened to some of the ways that they explained the story I'm about to tell. And tell you what, It's always mind-blowing to me. This one's a controversial story and it's going to lead into our sermon series somehow, but uh, we're going to get there in the end, so saddle up. I went to the Mariners game, the grand final, 6-1. 6-1. I'm saying that as if I had anything to do with the score. Uh, The soccer players did a brilliant job. If you're from Melbourne, sorry, (laughs) you know. I, I wish I had empathy, but I have no idea what that feels like. So remember, what I do apologize. The atmosphere was amazing. I have friends, Josh and Sienna, and Josh and Sienna have been to a game in Paris and they've watched Messi play, potentially the best soccer player of all time. You go over in Europe, you watch a soccer game, the atmosphere is intense and they've been bragging about it ever since they got back from Europe. But Josh and Sienna were with me at this game and they said the atmosphere at this game was better than the game they watched in Paris, which is pretty phenomenal. The energy was ecstatic. When you're in that stadium and your team's playing, and they're kicking the the free throw, no, not a free throw. What's this one called? (laughs) Penalty, Penalty. thank you. There's an English person over there. Football, watching the football. And uh, the atmosphere, just amazing. But what is more amazing is when the fans leave the stadium, and they are still chanting all the way down the street. It was phenomenal. Uh, me and some friends went to time zone afterwards and even after we finished at time zone at like 12 o'clock at night and we're walking the streets of Parramatta, there were still Mariners fans walking the streets, the middle of the city, chanting, chants that I don't even know because I guess I'm a fake fan and we was like nodding our head, yeah the Mariners, taking it out of the stadium and into the middle of the city. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what we as Christians are called to do? We can come in here and rah, rah, who do we sing for? Jesus, who do we sing for? Jesus, Um, Northern Stand, are you ready? Yes, who do we sing for? We sing for Jesus. It's all good to do that in this building. But what is more beautiful is when we take our, our clothing and our chance and our passion to the middle of the city. That is powerful. So let's get into a lecture here. Today we're doing the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. (laughs) A lot of you just had a heart attack, but I promise you, we're going to make this really, really good. Abraham. Let's see if we can get this up on the screen. I'm nervous for this one. Abraham. Abraham. Mm. This is going to be entertaining for you, but this is more of a visual aid and it's more to get my thoughts out because while I'm lecturing, I'm also teaching myself. So we have Abraham. He is the father of of faith abraham the father of that means Abraham was the first guy that God talked to and said, hey, I'm going to call you out and I'm going to make your descendants a holy, chosen people and they're going to be called, you know, they're going to be the Jews, they're going to be Israel. Your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars. You are going to be, everything good is going to come from you and all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through your descendants. Abraham is the father of faith and he is the father of the Jewish people. The Jews are descended from him and thus Jesus is descended from him Abraham the father of faith and one day he's visited by three men. Sort of elusive, the Bible doesn't really talk about who these three men are. Some theologians might say well there were three angels and some theologians might say one was God and there were two angels because in the Bible it says that the Lord was speaking and then it's like how did God put skin and bone on before he was Jesus, this is all very very confusing and so I'll pause there for a sec. In the confusion of this story, it's important to note that the Jews don't necessarily take everything in the Old Testament as historical nav- narrative. There's books like Kings and Chronicles, they're really historical narrative, but books like Genesis and the Torah are more a story of the origins of the people of God. It's a story with deep, deep, deep meaning. And so we don't know the answers to a lot of the things in the Torah because you're meant to dig for the meaning. It's not meant to be just a historical book. So three men. I'm going to suppose to you that one was God with skin and bone on, but not Jesus. We call this a theophany. Theophany. We call that a theophany. If God appears to people in the Old Testament, theophany. Just a a word that you hardly need to know. One was God and two were angels. Is that angel or angel, great. So these three people appear to Abraham and they promise him something great. They're like Abraham, you're going to have a kid and, and it's going to be good from your wife. And uh, he, he had another kid like with a different woman and that was a whole controversy. But he's like, no, 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 your wife, your wife who's very, very old is going to have a kid and you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through him. And Abraham's like, really? Can this be? And then and then his wife laughs and God hears the woman laughing. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard someone laugh at you behind your back, but that happened to God. He hears this woman laughing, he says, why are you laughing? She says, well, that's ridiculous, I'm too old to have a kid. He's like, you're going to have a kid. And then, the next fun story is Sodom and Gomorrah. So listen to this. In verse, Genesis 18, verse 17, it says, "...the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become great in a mighty nation..." Sh- he's going to have all these kids, he's going to be, you know, he's going to be the father of the Jews and Israel and all those sorts of things. "...seeing that Abraham should become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him." to keep the way of the Lord. So basically God's saying, I'm gonna make all his descendants follow like this special law that I'm gonna create. And if they follow that law, it's gonna be a shining light to the nations and the nations will know what's good and right and proper. And so he says, I don't wanna hide what I'm about to do from Abraham. So in verse 20, it says this, the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done all of this according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So Abraham is it his place where he lives. And down in the, you know, down over there, there's two more cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. And God says, I'm about to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah because I've heard that some bad stuff is happening in Sodom and Gomorrah and it's an evil, wicked place. And so I'm going to go and check to see if it's an evil, wicked place. What question might this bring to your mind if we're having a lecture here? Because this is weird. This should bring up questions. Perhaps the question might be, if God is all-knowing, why would He have to go down to look and see and check and find out? God's like, hmm, I've heard some rumours, I've heard some rumours about this place, Sodom and Gomorrah. What should I do? Oh, I know, I'll go and check. God's all-knowing. He knows. Already, this story should be messing with your theology. It should be, you should be thinking, what is going on? Why does God need to go and check? Why does God need to come down to earth to check the rumours and the stuff that he has heard? I'm going to suppose to you that sometimes the Old Testament, sometimes God, sometimes Jesus, sometimes Jesus, God, Holy Spirit do things to show us how we should behave. And what I want to suppose to you is this, the Jews teach that this passage of Scripture is teaching that even God Himself doesn't believe everything He hears. Even God himself needs to check. Future on in the New Testament, there's going to be a bunch of laws and it's going to talk about um, the death penalty and it says this, if you want to convict someone of murder and use the death penalty, there must be two witnesses of that murder, which means if you walk into a house and there's a dead man with with, 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 with a hole in his chest and there's a man holding a knife and he's crazy, but no one saw that man put the knife in the other guy's chest, that person cannot be convicted of the death penalty because there must be two witnesses according to the Jewish law which is about to come. And God is setting this precedent, when you hear things, go and check, go and, I want to write that down, go and investigate. This is getting... Investi- what am I up to here? Is that an A? <laughs> to- Go and investigate. Now, what is the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? Lots of Christian theologians will put to you, especially in this day and age, that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is sexual in nature, that they are a perverse people, Sodom and Gomorrah. However, I'm about to tell you what the Jews teach I think it's important that we listen to the Jews and rabbis because we grafted into their faith. The Jews tell two stories about Sodom and Gomorrah, legends, Jewish legends passed down by oral tradition, not in our Word of God and shouldn't be taken literally, nor should they be taken as the Word of God, but they are taken very seriously by Jews. This is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, two beautiful cities, fruit trees lined the way to the city. The cities have more rubies and gold and silver than any other cities, and it's found naturally. You dig into the dirt, you find a ruby. So many resources, and such beautiful trees leading to these cities. Such beautiful trees that travellers would come along the way, and they'd walk through the, the, the trees and pick the fruit, leading to these beautiful cities. And when they'd get to the city gates, sometimes they would be let in, And once they were inside, all the people of the city, Sodom and Gomorrah, would come out and they would give the person a coin, welcome to our city, here have a coin. And each person that gave a coin would put their initials on the coin before they gave it, they'd sign it and give the coin. And so they take the coin and the traveller all of a sudden is rich They've tasted of the trees and they're holding the coins. They are so, so, so rich. But every person in the city is instructed, if they come to use that money with the signature, you must not buy or sell to them. And they would lock the city doors. And slowly, the person would try to buy food, but no one would accept the money. And slowly, the person would try to buy shelter, but no one would accept the money. And slowly, the person would try to buy water, but no one would accept the money, until the person would starve or die of thirst. And once the person has passed away, each man would go and collect their coin, take back the coin with their initials on it. Second story about Sodom and Gomorrah that the Jews tell is this that there was once a lovely girl in the city who saw some poorer people and she decided she was going to take them bread and she was going to take them water and she was going to look after them and try to bring them in and show hospitality. But it doesn't end well. The men of the city realize that she's helping a poor person, that she's helping someone in need and so they capture this woman and uh, cover her in honey and sit her up on the city walls, until she is stung to death by bees. These are the two stories that the Jews tell about Sodom and Gomorrah. Pretty full-on stories, not in the Bible, but passed down through oral tradition. So if you go to a synagogue and ask them about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, that is what they will tell you. This is what we do know about Sodom and Gomorrah because it's not just sexual sin and we know this purely from Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. Abomination, they're not pertaining to anything sexual at all, just literally the word abomination, God saying they were terrible. Can you, Sodom and Gomorrah, I don't know how you've been taught why those cities were destroyed, but it literally says here, this is the sin of your sister Sodom. She had pride, excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. Well, there you go. And that's how the Jews come up with their stories and their parables and their tales. It goes on. I will go down to see whether they have done any of this according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. God is teaching here that you should not just listen to rumour, you should go and investigate. You should not convict someone without proof. And so the men... Two angels turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord. So, so it's like the three God and the two angels—they're like we're going to Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to go check on the people, but Abraham stands in front of the one man that is God, and it says he stood, and uh, this Jewish word almost means can almost mean go to war with. So he stands before God, almost like to go to war. He stood before God, and. Abraham decides he's going to have an argument. And Abraham says this. And Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you, God, to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous are treated the same way. Far be that from you. Wow. Wow. Have you ever spoke to God like that? Abraham stands before God himself and says, God, you're about to go destroy a whole city, but what if there's 50 good people in it? Will you save them? Far be it from you to, you know, get rid of 50 good people just because of a few bad eggs. What are we trying? What what is going on here? And it's like God allows Abraham to speak to him this way. What could God be teaching Abraham? God lets it run. God knows already what's going on in the city. He already knows no one righteous there. Why does he let Abraham speak to him this way? Perhaps, perhaps God wants to teach Abraham that standing up for fellow man is a beautiful thing. Perhaps he wants to teach Abraham this heart of empathy and this heart of passion, and perhaps he wants to let him have this desire to see people saved and changed. Perhaps. I wonder if any of you have that desire. If God says he's going to come and judge the world, what is your desire? I'll tell you what my desire is God, come on, give me a chance to preach more sermons. Give me a chance to get out there in the city. Give me a chance to show some more light. Please, God, wait. I was trying to teach Abraham some desire. And God says, and the Lord said, If I find Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And Abraham answered, he starts a bartering war with God. Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, and I am but dust and ashes. He, He does this, like, humility thing. I'm nothing but dust and ashes, far be it from me to speak to you. But, suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you? Oh, I've skipped ahead. Suppose there are fifty, fifty, far from you to do such thing. And the Lord said, I'll spare Sodom for the fifty. Behold it, I understand. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking will destroy the whole city for the lack of five. And he said, So forty-five, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five. And they spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. And God said, well, if I find forty, I will not destroy the city. And he answered, For the sake of he said, Oh, let the Lord, and he keeps doing this false humility thing. Look, God, don't be angry, but I just want to ask you another question. What about 30? What if I find 30 good people? God said, "Hmm, I will not do it if I find 30 good people there. And he said, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20. Will you save it for 20? Will you save the whole city for 20 good people? 20 good people. And God answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, oh, well, God, don't be angry. Uh... I'm going to speak again, but I'm only going to speak again once, I promise God. This is my last request. Suppose only 10 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. And when he finished speaking to Abraham, Abraham returned to his place. Abraham returned to his place. Perhaps Abraham is returning to a physical place, like Abraham walked out of his tent and he met with God somewhere special, he took his shoes off, he was on holy ground talking to God and three angels, before that you know he made them a, you know, he made them a snack and he got them a drink and he, he was, showed hospitality to them and all these sorts of things, so perhaps he was in a special physical place and he needed to return to his home, or perhaps what the Bible is speaking of here is his metaphorical space, perhaps Abraham was bold, and decided to come and speak to the Lord. Something that he says, "I'm but dust and ashes, and I'm going to anger you by speaking to you. But I'm going to take out. I'm going to step out of my um, lane, and I'm going to come into God's lane. I want to speak to Him. When God leaves, He returns back to His space. And I wonder for each of us if, when we're coming to the Lord, there is a risk there. We need to step out of our lane. We need to step into a, into a space with God that we might feel unworthy to go to. The truth is this, you can approach the throne, you, you can approach, specifically through Jesus, the throne of God. You were allowed into the throne room and some of you don't feel worthy enough. Some of you feel like you're not good enough to speak to God. Some of you try to pray and it's like, I'm just going to get distracted, so what's the point? But here's the truth. You are allowed to step out of this earthly realm and step into another place, a spiritual place, where God can hear and speak and listen to you. And the truth is that spiritual place is all around us. All you need to do is open your mouth and speak to the God of the universe, even if you don't feel like it's your place, even if you feel like you're not good enough. The two angels came to Sodom... In the evening. And Lot, which is Abraham's nephew, thank you, Johnny, I'm getting a nod. Abraham's nephew, this guy called Lot, was sitting at the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and I will wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go your way. So this guy called Lot, Abraham's nephew, is sitting at the city gates and he sees these two strangers come in. Of course, I've told you how Sodom and Gomorrah treats strangers, That strangers, they're not very nice to them. They don't like to share, they don't like to do hospitality. In fact, they punish people for doing hospitality, all those sorts of, sorts of things. And so Lot is sitting there. Maybe he's sort of one of these righteous people who has a good heart. Yeah, he's learned well from Abraham, his uncle, and all these sorts of things, even though they had a fight a little while. <laughs> he's waiting, and he sees these two, let's assume they're beautiful angels coming in the city gates, and he's like, please come to my house, don't be outside at night time, bad things happen in this place. Come to my house, I'll wash your feet, I'll keep your secret. But the angels say this, the angels say this, and this is a little verse I want to focus on here, and they said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. So let's imagine this is a, this is the city. Here's a, I'll make a little gate here. Mm, That can be, um, be, I want it to be brown, like wood. Mm. A little door here. It's a little door handle. I can Actually, that's sort of cool. I can imagine almost like a um, one of those um, westerns with the two the two things and the angels like they bust through the gates and Lot sitting there like, oh hey, come to my house. you gonna <laughs> they're not gonna like you here anyway. So the angels come in. That's the wrong color. I'm gonna do red. So the angels come into the city. Lot is somewhere here. Lot. And then Lot's like, come to my house, I'll protect you. And the angels say, "Mm, thanks a lot, but nah. We want to stay in the city square. So let's draw a metaphysical square here. Let's imagine there's houses all around. There's like houses here, houses here, houses all around. This is a cool house. Houses here. Let's just imagine this for a second. This is not to scale. Um, <laughs> and they're like, no, no, we want to we put out a swag and sort of sleep here in the middle of the city. And this, this part of the scripture, I think most of the time when we preach it, we just breeze over it. But I think God might be teaching, trying to teach us something deep here. God is going to do what in the city? Why was he going to the city? To judge it. He wanted to assess the situation. He wanted to um, investigate. And so the angels are sent to the city to investigate. And the angels choose to investigate about who's good and bad, not based on their home life, not based, let's say there's a spiritual epicenter. Synagogues and churches didn't exist, but let's call this spiritual spiritual epicenter. That's a cool word. Don't even know what it means, but I think I'm using it right. Doesn't matter, you can't read it anyway. He doesn't go to the spiritual epicenter. He doesn't go to the people's homes to assess the city. God wants to view it in the middle of the city in the town square. And this is what every rabbi I listened to this week taught, that God wants to assess the good, the righteous, and the bad, based on what happens in the middle of the city. How do I know? If, if I was a random Parramatta person who doesn't watch soccer, and only ever watches the Parramatta Eels, NRL, how would I know, if I didn't go to the stadium that night, that the Central Coast Mariners won the grand final? Well, if you're a standard Parramatta civilian, walking the city streets at one o'clock in the morning, you'd see a bunch of hooligans wearing... Central Coast Mariners shirts and scarves running around the city going, six one six one. one <laughs> That's how you would know. And I'm certain there would have been some Parramatta people walking around their everyday life at Parramatta <laughs> last night who were just going about their everyday business you know, go into a restaurant with their family, never watched a lick of soccer, don't know anything about it, but they would know that night that something special happened because of the people in the city walking around showing their colours, walking around singing their chants, walking around pushing Melbourne supporters over. That didn't happen, I promise you. They would know and for some reason in this God story, God sends his angels to the town square. He says, go into the middle of the city and see how they act there. See what happens in public. As we go about our everyday lives, we're not judged on our works by no means. God doesn't judge us based on our works. This is Old Testament stuff. You have to understand there's a whole New Testament where God flips the whole story on its head. Of course, I know all of that. But let's look at this face value, what God wants to teach his people through his word. When we go into our city, when we go into our village, how do we act? In the middle of the city, do we show people hospitality? In the middle of the city, are we kind to strangers? In the middle of the city, are we generous? In the middle of the city, are we uh, being kind to strangers, to people that know nothing about our faith? Are we willing to chant... um, uh, geez, geez, what's the Central Coast Mariners chant? My favorite line is just, um, no one rates us, but we don't care. We are the Coasties, <laughs> Yellow Army. No one rates us, but we don't care. What a good chant. <laughs> We're creative on the Central Coast. <laughs> Are we willing to go in the city and shout our chants? You know what I'm saying? That's where it matters. You can be nice to everyone in here. <laughs> or not nice if you whatever. <laughs> you can be nice to everyone in here on a Sunday and sing your spiritual songs and handshake and high five. And But what happens when we go into the village? What happens when there's people out there that need hospitality? Well, our national anthem, uh, Jeez. <laughs> I was singing up my heart out at the soccer. <laughs> uh, boundless planes to share. And something about wealth and toil. <laughs> um, mm, got a pretty good country. How good are we at sharing it? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. But what do our cities look like? How can we transform them? With love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, you know. How can we transform the middle of our cities? Now, Lot pressures them. Essentially, he says, no, you don't understand. This city is very, very, very bad. So please come s- spend the night at my house. You don't understand. And so the, the angels, and let's face it, they, they already knew it was pretty bad because God knows everything, decide to stay at Lot's house. They don't find ten righteous, they find Lot and they let Lot bring some people with him and Lot ends up being allowed to escape the city before God destroys it. Basically all the men of the city decided that these angels were beautiful and they were going to take advantage of them and Lot makes a crazy mistake where he was like, this is brutal, no please take my daughters instead the men are like, no, we want the angels. And so the angels basically struck them all down with blindness and all the people escape. And then, you know, it's like, all good. And then they're all running away. And, well, got to read the rest of the book to find out. But, but the point I want to make tonight is, um, well, I've got a million points as a lecture. I really want us to focus on this. How does it look in the middle of the city. The tr- truth is this, this is almost a foreshadowing of the Christological perspective. Now, when the, when the Jews are reading this more than 2,000 years ago, Jesus hadn't come yet, so this is how they taught it. But Jesus has come for us, so what does it mean for us? Let's look at a Christological perspective, and I'm just going to put one proposition to you, because the truth is theologians are just trying to figure this stuff out. I would propose that God, this is not a story of this is not a story of like punishment and God's hard heart to to destroy cities. I would put to you that this is a story of graciousness and God's desire to see good in the world. I would put to you that the point of this story is that Sodom and Gomorrah were so bad, it was bringing evil into the world. People were being abused crushed. It it was bad for the world, and God was gracious to the world in removing this evil threat. And God wanted to be gracious and find some good people there, but sadly, he didn't. But Lot showed some kindness, so he let him save a few people and run away. But even Lot's wife sort of looked back because she missed it, and then she got turned into a pillar of salt, which I mean, if you had some spare potatoes at the time, could have made some chips and could have had some free seasoning. So even that is slightly gracious. I don't think they have many potatoes in Israel. (laughs) Lectures are wild, man. (laughs) Lectures are wild. Lectures are wild. God didn't find anyone righteous. The truth is, I think you and I, I think we know that we have some things wrong with us as well. Maybe we're not like Sodom and Gomorrah completely. I mean, we we do good deeds, right? We're Australians. We give to charity. We pay our taxes, some of us. We do good. We say g'day, mate, to our neighbour. We say, how you going? They smile back politely to us. We we do do, do some good, but I think deep down each and one of us... You know, we all know that we can be we can be a bit deceitful at times, we can even lie to ourselves. We can hate sometimes, we can gossip sometimes, we can lie. I think we all know that. And if the God of the universe who created us came down and assessed this room, I think you would go, hmm, can't find one righteous if the scale of righteousness is him. I wonder if the people would be like, well, God, what what if you just find one righteous person? Will you you save the world for one? If you find 50 righteous, will you save the world for 50? If you find 40 righteous, will you save the world for for 40? If you find 25, will you save the world for 25? If you find 10, God, will you save the world for, for 10? Truth is, God would save the world for one. There was one righteous that was found here on earth, and his name was Jesus, God with skin and bone on. God the Son, one righteous. God decided he was going to save the world for one, for whoever would come to him. And that's pretty beautiful. He would save the world for one. That one we put him on a cross looked like death had won. But death didn't win. He rose from the dead, conquered death. For all our sins and transgressions, God saved the world for one. God saved us through one. Pretty beautiful. Here endeth my lecture. God, I pray in all my ramblings tonight that everyone would take at least one piece home with them from what I said. Perhaps it's the part, God, that you teach us about investigating uh, things that are said and not taking everything at face value. Just like you showed us, God, you went and saw for yourself. Or maybe it's the part about um, standing up for the lost and, and almost going to bat for the lost to, to your face, God. God, and I come before you, God, and I say, there's, there's, God, there is so many people out there and I pray that you would come with, with graciousness and you would send us into the city so that they can be saved. Would you find some, would we create some righteous out there by introducing them to you, God? God, I come before you now. I say, come on, God, send us out there. Let us help you. Come on, God, save Save God. Save. Or maybe it's the part about going into our city square and showing our true colors. Because that's where it's rightfully assessed in how we treat others and how we do life in the city square. How we take the overflow and go into the village. God, we be people who show hospitality, generosity. Would we share our wealth? Would we share our land? Would we share our fruit? In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, God, for saving us. Amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.